here today. Welcome. Uh, this is the second service here at Kavanaugh that I've been in this morning. And uh, I tell you, they've both, both been fantastic. They've both been great. Now, that first service, those people, they, they were fired up. I, I don't know if they were high on coffee or, or Munster. I don't know. But, they, man, they were with me. Are you? All right, counting on you, man. Glad you're here. Uh, pray for Brother Jason. He is, uh, he's preaching in Ozark this morning. Uh, our very own brother Kendall and his wife Denise uh, both have the flu, and so Jason went down there to preach. I told him, uh, go preach for him, but just don't touch the pulpit. <laughs> so um, anyway, I thought that was funny. Anyway, pray for Jason as he preaches, and, and pray for me as I try to preach uh, as well. It's always good to have Callie Grace home. Man, Woo, glad little Callie came home. Callie's at Baylor learning Hebrew. She, she already knows uh, more Hebrew than I'll ever know. And Man, she brought Ava with her. Ava, we're glad you're here. Callie's friend Ava from Houston. They're going to live together next year and share a house. And Ava, I'm going to pray for you. All right? So, uh, <laughs> man, I'm just, I'm just glad to be. I'm so glad that I get to be here today and praise the Lord. Amen? That's what we're doing. We're learning how to praise the Lord. Our theme verse for this series is Psalm 150, verse 6. I've asked that you memorize that verse. Uh, it's on the banners here if you're new today. So let's say that verse out loud. It's our verse for this series. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so if you have breath this morning, you need to be praising the Lord. Well, I guess half of you are dead. I'll, we'll do your funeral tomorrow, I suppose. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glad you're doing that. Our individual verse comes from Psalms 119, 164. It says, seven times a day, I will praise you for your righteous laws. And so uh, our deal is we're, we're trying to spend at least seven moments every single day stopping, pausing from what we're doing, and directing our focus to God and just simply giving Him praise. The Bible says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving, and I will come into his courts with praise. And if you have started this journey with me of praising the Lord seven times a day, I think you're getting a blessing out of it, because I tell you, I sure am. It's awesome to give praise to God. Now, if you're struggling with any of this praise business, I'm going to help you today, because our subject matter is the proper perspective of praise. How can we really understand what praise is? Well, it's having a proper perspective of it. And when we understand what biblical praise is, it's a whole lot easier and freer to give praise and glory to God. Before I get into that, though, let me tell you one of my favorite praise the Lord stories. Uh, it's about this elderly woman, right? And uh, every morning she would go out on her front porch and say out loud, so that everyone in the neighborhood could hear, praise the Lord. Reminds me of a Grandma Harmon. Gra Grandma Harmon was a praiser. I'm telling you, she could praise with the best of them. And I, I saw, when I was a little kid, I saw my Grandma Harmon praising the Lord on her front porch before. I mean, she just loved to praise the Lord. Well, this little lady loved it too. And so every morning she would step out on the front porch, and what would she say out loud? Praise, praise the Lord. Well, her next-door neighbor didn't appreciate it. He was an atheist, and it really irritated him because every morning he was out on the front porch reading his newspaper, drinking coffee, and she'd come out there, praise the Lord, and he would shout back over the hedges, there ain't no Lord. 
but she just kept praising the Lord, right? Uh, time passed, and the little old lady fell on hard times. One morning, she went out on her porch, and she said, Praise the Lord, and by the way, Lord, I need some help. I'm out of money, and I'm out of food. Would you mind bringing me some groceries? Praise the Lord. Well, the next morning, she stepped out on the porch, and guess what? There was a huge box of groceries right there. And so she said, praise the Lord. Her atheist neighbor was in the bushes, and he hopped out, and he said, uh-huh, I told you there was no Lord. I'll put those groceries there. Well, that little old lady got happy, and she started clapping and jumping up and down, and she said, praise the Lord. Lord, you not only brought me groceries, you had the devil pay for them. <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> hey, church, praise is the result of a proper perspective. An ancient philosopher once said, give me a place to stand and I will move the world. Give me a place to stand, and I will move the world. Not exactly sure of what he was talking about. The result of two things. First of all, there needs to be a point of leverage, and secondly, there needs to be a lever. Okay? Have you ever used a lever and a point of leverage to move something? Raise your hand, come on, help me out here. Well, some of you have. It really does work. I mean, I have moved huge rocks with a long metal steel rod and a point of leverage, which was another rock. I mean, it really works. If you have the right lever and at the right point of leverage, you can really move things. Well, in relating to our dynamic philosophy of praise, I'm here to tell you praise itself is that lever. Praise is the lever. And the point of leverage is nothing more or less than the sovereignty of God. Now that's pretty deep and y'all, you know, you're just sitting there and it's blowing over your mind. Let me put it like this, all right? Here's, here's what I know. When you start praising God with your life and your lips and it's coming from your heart, you move heaven. When you praise God, God inhabits your praise. And when God is praised, God starts moving stuff. So our praise is the lever, and the sovereignty of God is the point of leverage. Praise is the spontaneous result of a truth that is so mighty, we dare not live without it. When a person gets their life right with Jesus Christ and allows the Spirit of God to control them, the result of that is going to be pure praise. When Jesus saves your soul <laughs> and removes your sin and fills your life with His presence, you can't help but praise the Lord. John gives us a proper perspective of praise in perhaps one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4. There are 11 verses in Revelation 4, and we're going to do our best to read and look at all 11 verses. A little background material first. John was on the Isle of Patmos when he wrote the book of Revelation. He is there, according to chapter 1, verse 9, because of his testimony in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So John was preaching the truth. He was telling other people about Christ. And because of that, he was arrested. And then he was banished to this small island called Patmos. John had, in his old age, suffered the ultimate rejection from his society. And he was banished to this lonely piece of real estate to live out the remainder of his days. Uh, here's what we know about Patmos Isle. It's an island that is about seven and a half miles long from north to south, and at its widest point, it's only six miles wide. It, it was a volcanic island, and, and therefore it was treeless and very rocky. Now, I can dig the treeless part because I was raised in West Texas, but the, the rocky part going along with it, I, I think it was a pretty ugly place. His surroundings, the Isle of Patmos, offered him no hope. His associates that he was living with on the Isle of Patmos was the scum of the earth. His friends, who were very far away, if they were still alive at all, were there without him. And all the memories haunted his mind of hundreds of believers who had been called upon to make the supreme sacrifice of faith and life. They had been martyred for Jesus Christ and the gospel. If ever a man had a reason to feel depressed and be entirely justified because of it, it was John on Patmos. The church everywhere was being persecuted. It was unsafe to be a Christian in any part of the Roman Empire. The man who sat on the throne of the Roman Empire hated Christianity and Christians and seemed committed to wipe them off the face of the earth. But it was at this point and in this circumstance in John's life that he brings us to the vantage point of praise. John had just seen a vision of the glorified Messiah, Jesus. Now remember, John was one of Jesus' followers. John saw Jesus on planet Earth. He followed Jesus. He was one of his closest disciples. But now in Revelation chapter 1, he sees the glorified Jesus. And it's nothing like the physical Jesus that he had seen on planet Earth. In fact, in chapter 1, he says, He is like unto the Son of Man. No longer is he this lowly Savior, meek and mild. But what John sees in Revelation chapter 1 is this imposing figure of a man with a voice like a hundred cascading waterfalls. John said his eyes flashed with fire. His words were like a sharp double-edged sword. His feet reminded him of burnished brass. He was dressed in a royal robe with a golden sash around his chest. His hair was as white as snow, and his face was shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. John saw Jesus, the glorified Jesus. And Jesus is standing there, holding seven stars in his right hand, and he's walking in the midst of these seven golden candlesticks. He tells John at the end of chapter 1, those seven stars represent the seven pastors of the churches, and the seven candlesticks represent the seven churches in Asia Minor. 
And then he dictates to John letters to all of these seven churches. And he says, John, I want you to write down everything that you see and everything that you hear. Can you imagine the implications of the first three chapters of the book of Revelation? Jesus shows John himself in all of his glory. He tells John of his interest, and he also speaks of future plans. What he is doing is this. He is telling John that no matter what it looks like is happening in the world, that God is still in business. <laughs> and I can applaud that today because our God is still in business. He's still doing things. And then in chapter 4, John shows us what's happening in heaven and what is going to happen here on this earth. And he gives us a proper perspective, not only of our mind and our heart, but also through our eyes of what biblical praise really is. So four things I want you to see, and I'll concentrate on the fourth one. The first one is this. The first thing John sees is an open door. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 after those things I looked, John said, and behold, a door standing open into heaven. I think the connotation here is obvious. There is an open door between where John is and heaven. It happens to be open, suggesting the immediate possibility of John walking through that threshold and entering into heaven. Now let me do a quick time out and tell you this. Praise the Lord for open doors. Aren't you glad when God opens the door okay, and takes you to a different place in life, somewhere that you've never been before, something that is much better than where you're at right now? Isn't that great when God opens doors? We can praise the Lord for open doors. I don't know if it works this way with you, but 99% of the times, he just kind of cracks the door for me, <laughs> seems like, and, and then I've got to push it the rest of the way open, but praise the Lord for cracked doors, man. Amen? So this door is open. And what John realizes in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 is the reality of two different realms. There is the visible world that he is in and there is the invisible world that he is invited into. His visible world was dark and filled with danger. It offered absolutely no hope whatsoever. But suddenly John's eyes were open to another world. The unseen world, the invisible world, the world of heaven. And so let me just stop right here and talk about these two worlds. All of us in this room are faced with these two realms of reality. All of our troubles with depression and hopelessness rise at the point of our conviction as to which of these two realities is real. We deal with the visible, tangible world every single day of our life. We know that this world is real, don't we? Just pinch yourself. I mean, it's real. There are bills to pay. <laughs> There's, there's jobs to go to, right? There's cranky people we have to deal with. There's sickness that happens. 
There's death that comes into our family. Why? It's a part of life. And, 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 and I, I, don't, I don't mean to be negative this morning, but the, the reality is our world at least seems to be getting worse and worse. Really. You know? I hate to compare first service to second service, but y'all guys are going to have to step it up a notch right here, right? Those people, been, they're a little older, and they've been around a lot longer, and they know what I'm talking about. This world just seems to be getting worse and worse. Okay? And I try to find the gems in every day, and you know what? There are great things about our life and this world that I can point to, but as a whole, it does seem to be getting worse and worse every day. It, it, thank you, Jason. It will, man. There's no doubt about it. Now, it's not that I don't care which political party is in charge. I really do, okay? But on the other hand, it really doesn't matter which political party, whether Republican or Democrat, is in control because when you open the paper every day, no matter who is running things, there's nothing but trouble. And it couldn't get worse, at least according to them. Our world is getting worse and worse. There are fears and doubts and rejection and anxieties, and there are terrifying developments on the horizon which seem to threaten the very survival of the human race. You know, if, if I ever do have grandkids, I worry about the world they're going to live in. Just getting bad. But there is another world, another realm of reality. And that other realm of reality is vying for our attention today. It is the spiritual. It is the heavenly. It is the eternal. For, for many people, this, this heavenly realm seems foggy and misty and unreal. Yet, church, when it's all said and done... This invisible world that I'm talking about is the real world. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away. There will come a day when this world that we know ceases to exist. But that world is going to keep going on. And here's the awesome thing. Here's the cool thing. Jesus is the door. Just like Jesus was holding the door open for John into heaven, Jesus is holding the door open for us, and he is inviting us to step across that threshold. And when we walk inside this other world, the invisible world, we do get a proper perspective of what praise really is. Because that's what's going on there. Second thing that I want you to notice in Revelation 4 is the voice that John heard. Look on in, in verse 1. It says, And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things that must take place after this. Three things about that verse. First is the identification. John recognized the voice that was speaking to him. It is the same voice that he heard in chapter 1, verse 10. And it is none other than the voice of our glorified and resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. It's his voice. The second thing is the invitation. Jesus says to John, come up here. 
And so the King of Kings, <laughs> the resurrected one, is issuing an invitation to enter into this invisible world. And then comes the explanation. Come up here, John, and I will show you what must take place after this. And, and, and here's where it gets practical for me. This is something that is going to happen in the future, yes, but because John entered in, it is something that is happening right now because it's present tense. What John is about to see is what's really going on in heaven at this very moment. And so here we have a key into history. Not only are there two realms of reality, the seen and the unseen, but the unseen realm, the heavenly realm, is the one that is controlling the seen realm. We've had it backwards. Really, honestly, we've got it backwards. We think that the kings and the potentates and the, the commanders of countries are ruling this world. That we are in control. And sometimes you think that you are in control of your own life. It's not the case at all. We got it backwards. Genuine reality is in the area of the invisible. That's what faith is. And when it comes down to it, nothing on this earth is really in control at all. Everything is controlled in the invisible world. And so what Jesus is saying to John is something like this. Listen, John, things are not as they appear to be. They seldom are. And I'm about to show you things as they really are. I am about to walk you into the throne room of the universe. You are about to see with your two own eyes the control center of the universe. And I will show you genuine reality. And John, here's what you're going to figure out. That things are not out of control. The devil has not won. You're going to see that evil has not triumphed. That man is not a victim of a cruel chance. You're going to find out that we are not living on a large ball that is about to explode and send everyone into oblivion. John, I want you to walk through this door and I want you to get a glimpse of reality. This is what it really is. And so John does. I don't know if you would, but John did. Man, he, he stepped on in, baby. He stepped in. And he tells us the first thing he saw. Verse 2 of Revelation 4. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And one, big O, I call it the big O, was sitting on the throne. So the first thing that he sees when he goes into heaven is this huge, ginormous throne. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word throne? Well, if you're like me, you think of control and power and rule and authority. In the realm of the invisible reality, John says, the first thing I saw was this huge throne. And again, listen to me, church. We have, we've got all of this reversed. We've reversed the situation. The powers of this world do not hold the balance of authority in our universe. There is a control room 
for our universe and it is in the unseen world and there is a throne up there and there's somebody sitting on that throne. Because that is a big point that John makes. John tells us the throne is occupied. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Who's on that throne? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our sovereign God. Listen, church, it, it may sometimes seem like our world is in chaos and that Satan is having a field day. Do you ever feel that way? Come on now, wake up. Do you ever feel that way? How could things get anywhere? Here's what I want you to realize. He's not in control. And even though it may seem like he's having his way, you need to understand there is a throne. And God's sitting on the throne. And God is in control. You know, dude, I've read the end of the book. I don't know what happens. We win. We win. And so I, I, I come to my final point. Um, here's old John. He's, he's down and out on Patmos Isle. He sees an open door. He hears, hears a voice, the voice of the Savior. Come up here. I can't even begin to imagine what John saw. I try, to, I try to. I try my best to put myself in this situation and to close my eyes and try to visually see what he saw. I can't do it, but I get a little glimpse of it when I read it. So let me read it to you. This is what John saw when he walked up into heaven. This is not only something that's going to happen in the future. It was happening right then. And if it was happening right then, I guarantee you, it's still happening right now. And so I want to pick up in verse number 3. And he, capital H, he, God, who sat on the throne was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like unto an emerald. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to relate to John. John saw something that was so spectacular that he didn't have words in his vocabulary to describe it. How can you describe God? I mean, you can't. And I think John was doing his best to tell us, you know what? I, I saw the one sitting on the throne, and what I can tell you about it, he was glowing. <laughs> I mean, he, he was just glowing like this emerald. Verse number 4, around the throne were 24 smaller thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. They were clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. That's important. 24 little thrones, 24 elders. They had white robes, and what they have on their heads? They had crowns of their own, gold crowns. And, verse 5, from the throne itself proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like crystal. 
And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were these four living creatures. They were full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like this flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and behind and within. And they rest not. They rest not day and night. That tells me this has been going on a long time, and it's still going on today. These four living creatures flying around the throne of God, they never rest. And what are they doing? They're constantly giving. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. <laughs> it's happening in heaven right now. Everything in heaven is giving praise to the one who sits on the throne. I've got one word to describe Revelation chapter 4. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, man. Wow. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6. Did it you? When I just read that, did it remind you of Isaiah chapter 6? Real quick. Isaiah 6 verse 1. Isaiah says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a what? A throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood these seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried unto another. And they said, here was their praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Dude, do, 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 you, do you see what's happening here? In Isaiah chapter 6, heaven was worshiping and praising God. Holy, holy, holy. Revelation chapter 4, these four creatures are saying, Holy, holy, holy to the one on the throne. It's happening right now as I speak in heaven. So there's one thing I want to tell you about our God. He's holy. He's a holy God. Now I'll step over here because I'm about to use some bad grammar. He ain't just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. He is holy. Do you, it's important. Do you see that? 
Do you have it in your mind? Our God is a holy God. He's seated on the throne of the universe. Now, you may think that I've taken a long journey to make my point, but I think the trek was worth it. Here's the point. The perspective of praise is none other than the throne room of the universe where we see our holy, holy, holy God sitting on the throne of the universe. That's the proper perspective of praise. What is it in a statement? Here it is. God reigns. God reigns. God reigns. God is in control. That's the foundation of praise. And here is the result. When we see God as He is, we praise Him as we should. It's the perspective of praise. When I see God as God really is, I praise God as I ought to praise Him. Praise is nothing more or less than a commitment to and a confession of the sovereign power and providence of God. You understand the God of the Bible? Dude, let me tell you, praising Him is easy. Praising Him is natural. Let me tell you the flip side of that. The absence of praise simply means that someone has an inadequate view of Almighty God. Now, I don't know any nice way to say this, so I'm just going to vomit it out, all right? And you might take offense to it. I've prayed about it, and, you know, I mean, I, I can't help it. I'm just going to tell you the truth. If you are against biblical praise, if you find yourself resisting what I've been preaching on, if you're saying to yourself, I will never do that, I can never say that, I will never do this, I will ne- I'm, I'm just not, in, I'm not, that's not me, I'm not going there, and you start distancing yourself from praising God biblically like we should be doing, and you just want as far away from this as you can possibly get, here's what I've got to say with you, to you. There's something wrong with your heart. Again, I don't know any nice way to tell you that. But if that's the way you feel about praise, there's something wrong spiritually in your life. It could be an unconfessed sin. It, it could be some past lie from the devil that you have believed. You know, I don't know what it is, but something in your heart is not right. Because when you view God as He is, when you see the God of the Bible, let me tell you, the response to that is to praise Him. To know Him is to praise Him. He is worthy of praise. And we come to find out that when we praise Him, we are lining up with heaven. Because that's what heaven's doing. Praises are being given in heaven constantly. Therefore, we need to be praising God all the time, guys. And when we stand in the mid-court of praise, we are in the atmosphere of the heavenlies, where God is seated on His throne. We are at home as redeemed, blood-bought covenant people in praise. Our God is at home in praise. 
Our God inhabits our praises. It is proper to praise our God. And that perspective on praise changes everything. It changes everything. So I want you to look at your own life right now. Which reality is real to you? Is it this present world with all of its problems and worries and fears and woes? Because let me tell you, when, when that's all you see, when all you can see is this old world we're living in and all of your problems piling up and becoming enormous, consuming you, let me tell you, you can't help but be depressed and down. <laughs> Woe is me. Gloom, despair, agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If I had no bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, agony on me. Dad, I did learn something watching Hee Haw all those years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But here's what it takes, church. Listen, here's what it, and it can happen to you right now, this moment. Just take your eyes off of that stuff and put your eyes on the throne control room of the universe. Our God reigns. That's it. God reigns. God reigns. God is in control. Does it take all my problems away? Nah, they're still there. But my eyes are on the one who can fix them and help me through them. And I'm not consumed by them anymore. What am I doing? I'm looking to him and woo! Come on, give me a Ric Flair. Woo! Woo! I'm just praising the Lord. It's all about your perspective. So let's get a proper perspective.